It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. This Lockdown Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less, take out, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals, plus free shipping on your first box, and Free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Well, last night sure sucked. The Toronto Raptors coming to the Golden One Center and as Mike Brown put it, kicked the King's ass. Not exactly the way you wanted to wrap up your homestand before heading on the longest road trip of the year, but I'm going to share with you how I feel the Raptors' defense and physicality is similar to what the Kings will face in the playoffs. It's all right here on Locked on Kings. You are Locked on Kings, your daily Sacramento Kings podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And now... Ladies and gentlemen, it is that time, time for another episode of Locked on Kings. Hello and welcome into Locked on Kings, your podcast hub for Sacramento Kings coverage all regular season long today presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. It's the official sportsbook of Locked on. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked on to get started. My name is Matt George. I have the privilege of being your host here. I'm a Sacramento sports reporter and producer for ABC 10 News. And last night just wasn't a night for the Kings, period. Not just the Sacramento Kings basketball team getting wiped on their home floor by the Toronto Raptors. It was also not a night for Kings content, as you might be wondering why I'm not or I didn't do my typical post-game podcast from the arena. That's because I actually did. I recorded a whole podcast, but the audio screwed up. And at that point, it was almost midnight and I was over it with how that game ended up in uh, just everything, how that night ended up going. Uh, so I, I said, you know what, I'm waiting until the morning. So I appreciate those of you who have been patiently waiting uh, for this Locked on Kings episode, although I know there are many of you that might be considering skipping this episode or probably did consider skipping this episode simply because of how the Sacramento Kings played last night. But I do appreciate you tuning in, and I do appreciate having the opportunity to not just break down and walk through this really bad loss for the Sacramento Kings and this uh, and, and how they were just taken advantage of on their home floor. I do want to tie it, I think, based off of my understanding of playoff basketball from a 
non-Sacramento Kings perspective. Of course, I haven't watched Kings playoff basketball in 16 years. Uh, but based off my understanding of what playoff basketball is, I think there are some very important lessons for the Sacramento Kings to be learned from this game. And I'll get to that in a little bit. But I have to start this podcast giving the Toronto Raptors the credit that they deserve. Because sure, we could say, wow, there are a lot of self-inflicted wounds by the Kings. Uh, the, the, the Kings got their butts kicked. Oh, man, the Kings... Uh, turned the ball over way too many times, or they did this wrong or did that wrong, blah, 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 blah. The Toronto Raptors absolutely took control of this game. They came into the Golden 1 Center with some physicality, some aggression. We know physicality is what the Sacramento Kings have struggled with in the past. On the defensive end of the floor, they were extremely disruptive, did not allow the Sacramento Kings to get into their offense, did not allow DeMontis Sabonis to get comfortable in the slightest, whether he was on the high or low post, uh, did a good job denying De'Aaron Fox and his uh, ability to score and get to the spots that he wants on the floor as much as possible. They were aggressively jumping passing lanes, just had a boatload of deflections. Uh, they were stopping the Kings offense. And then Sacramento looked almost shell-shocked and just continued to play right into it with far too many players just standing on the perimeter watching as one or two guys struggled dealing with the length uh, and physicality of the Raptors' defense. But Toronto, who's been struggling this season, came into Sacramento and, quite frankly, made the Kings look like they were on the end of a road trip, not the end of a homestand. Typically, that last game of the road trip, especially a long road trip, you'll kind of see a, a lethargic performance, a team that's just ready to get home and, and spend a night in their own beds. It's kind of how the Sacramento Kings played last night. They just looked like they were ready to get to the final buzzer. Uh, and, and it's not that they weren't trying. It's not that they weren't playing with any kind of effort. They were just completely taken out of their game. And that physicality that the Raptors played with, the the aggressiveness that they played with on the defensive end, how disruptive they were, not allowing the Sacramento Kings to get into their offense. Look, you and I understand how the Kings run their offense. So you best believe a, a NBA franchise filled with scouts and all the film you could possibly want and the best coaches in the world and the best players in the world, you best believe that they understand what the Sacramento Kings are going to do. They know that DeMontis Abonis is the foundation of Sacramento's offense, and they did everything in their power to make sure Sabonis couldn't get comfortable. You know, a couple weeks ago, maybe this is my fault, because a couple weeks ago I put out a podcast saying, how in the world do you stop the Sacramento Kings offense? Well, the Toronto Raptors gave us exhibit A, and it didn't involve getting DeMontis Sabonis in foul trouble. It simply involved swarming Sabonis or swarming whatever ball handler decided to come inside of the three-point line. Now, the Sacramento Kings should be able to figure out and beat that kind of defensive pressure with ball movement, with movement off of the ball, uh, and with cutting and with communication. Kings weren't doing any of that last night. Again, it looked like Sacramento was simply floored or shell-shocked by how aggressive Toronto was playing on the defensive end of the floor. They didn't look like they had any answers other than Keegan Murray and Kevin Herter chucking three-pointers. And we're going to get to the two of them. They were the only two bright spots from this game in just a little bit. But what the Kings faced last night is what they will face in the playoffs. Defense is the foundation of playoff basketball. Of course, great offenses make a massive difference, and I think the Sacramento Kings offense is more than good enough to make a lot of noise in these upcoming playoffs, whether the Kings maintain their third or fourth seed in home court advantage or fall to 
five, six, hopefully not seven or eight in the plan. But regardless, the competition that the Kings are going to be facing, especially the majority of the competition that's going to be in the playoffs in the Western Conference this season, has been there before and has experience that the Kings don't have. They are going to try and do and be as disruptive for the Kings on the playoff stage with far more pressure on the Kings' shoulders than what the Toronto Raptors did last night in a middle-of-the-season uh, Thursday night, uh, rather, sorry, Wednesday night game that some people might have been watching, but other people might have tuned out after the first or second quarter. Like, it's only going to get more difficult. So I think, in a weird, twisted way, as, as much as last night sucked, and it was one of my least favorite games to watch inside the Golden 1 Center, it was just dull, it was boring, the Raptors did a phenomenal job not allowing the Golden 1 Center crowd to really get involved in the game, and we know how important the crowd is to the success of the Kings and how much energy they give the Kings. Last night was rough, but I do think it was necessary. Mike Brown spoke before the game about good teams becoming great by facing adversity. Sometimes in the regular season, a lot of times in the playoffs. And you best believe if the Kings make the playoffs, or should I say when the Kings make the playoffs, they will face a significant amount of, of adversity. They haven't shown me enough yet to suggest, even with home court advantage in the opening round, that they will win that opening round. It would be phenomenal if they did so. Getting there is is enough for a lot of Kings fans, and getting there, for me, is a tremendous win this season. But, of course, the Sacramento Kings want to get there and then continue to win and at least move on uh, to the, the semifinal round. It's going to be very difficult for them to accomplish that goal if they don't figure out how to handle and how to be able to play to their strengths when the intensity of their opponent is only going to, to, to pick up. Right. And I'm not, look, I'm not overreacting or I'm not, I'm trying not to overreact to a game where the Sacramento Kings were held to 95 points. It's their lowest scoring total this season. It's only the second time this season they've been held to under 100 points. The New York Knicks in New York were able to hold the Kings to 99, uh, I think in November or something like that. Like, I'm, uh, this was a very bad offensive night for the Kings. I don't know if they'll ever score. 95 points again this season. They should score over 95 points for every game for the remainder of the season, including the playoffs. So on one hand, it could be just a really, really bad night, but it was a bad night because of what your opponents were doing, not just because you were missing shots. In fact, Sacramento's shooting percentage in this game, they weren't that bad. It was just the fact that the Raptors' defense was forcing the Sacramento Kings to not run the offense the way they want to. And then we'll get to how many more shots the Raptors took on the offensive end of the ball. But what the Raptors did to the Kings, I think the Kings are only going to see magnified in the playoffs by more experienced teams. So I hope last night gives the Kings an opportunity to recognize, okay, this is our kryptonite. This is how teams are going to try to stop us by being physical and by denying us opportunity by hacking at us, by jumping our passing lanes. We cannot just stand around and let it happen and play into that. We have to find a way to play our style of basketball, still run our offense and play to our strengths and minimize or completely negate that effort that those teams are putting in on the defensive end of the floor. Mike Brown and the Kings have to figure that out, or I'm telling you they will have zero chance at any sort of playoff success. This is the adversity that Mike Brown is talking about. How will the Kings learn from this? 
The Raptors took 24 more shots than the Kings. If this were soccer or football, where time of possession uh, and and possession, uh, possession stats are really important, basketball, not so much. But in, 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 in soccer or football, especially football, let's talk about football. Like If a team's offense is on the field for, what is it, a 60-minute game, for 40 minutes to an opponent's 20, that team is probably winning or maybe dominating the game. The fact that the Kings still shot a decent shooting percentage, did turn the ball over way too much, but shot 24 shots less or fewer than the Toronto Raptors speaks volumes. The Raptors were getting a ton of second chance opportunities, which we'll talk about. They were just getting more offensive opportunities, period, and getting more shots of, period, because their defense was, at times, not even allowing the Sacramento Kings the space to get a shot up. A plus 24 advantage in shots, not makes, shots is a tremendous difference. Something that you do not see very, I can't remember the last time I've seen a, a, a shot differential that significant. Maybe it's happened and I just haven't paid attention to it. It was blatantly obvious in last night's game because it wasn't that the Raptors were shooting tremendously better than the Kings either. To beat them 113 to 95, you'd think, okay, the Raptors offense really got going and their defense was really good too. The shooting percentages were relatively the same. And to be honest with you, the Raptors could have won this game by 30 plus points if they'd hit their outside shots. There was a stretch in the third quarter when they held the Kings to 17 points. By the way, the Kings didn't score 30 points or more in a single quarter, which is very, very significant. Again, credit to the Toronto Raptors and their defense. But there was a point during that 17-point third quarter where the Kings couldn't get anything going. They were either missing shots or just flatten out turning the ball over, and the Raptors were coming down on the other end of the floor and just chucking threes. There were like four or five straight stops that the Raptors had that resulted in missed three-pointers that had half of those gone in, the Kings would have been down by 30 points. And I don't know if they would have recovered from that. I mean, they barely could recover from being down by 20 points for the majority of the second half. But 24 more shots than the Kings is nuts. Points in the paint has been something consistently wrong with the Kings. So to be outscored 58 to 42 in the paint, not surprising for the Kings, although not acceptable. And then we start talking about rebounding. A 41 to 34 advantage for the Toronto Raptors on the glass. The Kings were standing around way too much, period. Ball watching way too much. Offensively, they were standing on the perimeter and watching while the ball handler got swarmed and usually resulted in a turnover. Nobody was moving. Defensively, they were standing around watching while Precious Achua off the bench scored, I think, 15 points and was just getting to the rim time and time again and nobody was rotating to help. And then on the glass, the Kings were standing around watching while one rebounder was out-rebounded by two or three lengthy, athletic Raptors wings and forwards. And I remember a play, there's a specific play where DeMontis Abonis was boxing out, I think it was Pascal Siakam, and Keegan Murray stood there and watched while Sabonis didn't secure the rebound because the ball went over Sabonis' head and a Raptor got it and he looked at Keegan like, what the hell? And then at the next ball stoppage, he and Keegan were, were seen communicating. Hopefully that was a teaching moment for Sabonis uh, and, 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 and Keegan. But regardless, like that kind of sums up. It wasn't just Keegan doing it. Like it was the entire Kings roster standing on the perimeter and watching the Kings get abused on the glass by the length of the Raptors. 11 offensive rebounds for Toronto resulting in 18 second chance points. An 18 to 2 advantage on second chance points. That is brutal. 
The Kings turned the ball over 19 times in this game. Nine of them belonged to DeMontis Sabonis. Four of them belonged to De'Aaron Fox. And the rest of the team had a smattering of one or two. Again, credit to the Raptors. It wasn't just the Kings making silly, silly mistakes. Although this is the second straight game where DeMontis Sabonis has turned the ball over way too much. He turned the ball over eight times in the win over Memphis because it was a win that got brushed under the rug a little bit. Nine in this game. Yikes. To have 16 turnovers, or is it 17? 17 turnovers in the last, yeah, seven, no, 16. I can't do math in the morning. 17 turnovers. <laughs> Jeez. To have 17 turnovers in the last two games combined. Yikes, yikes, yikes. Something that DeMontis Sabonis is going to need to figure out. Let's talk about Fox and Sabonis a little bit more. They had more combined turnovers, 13, than they did made field goals, 11. And again, Sabonis had nine of those 13 turnovers. The Kings need more out of their stars. Simply put, they need more out of their stars. The Kings scored a combined 20, or rather, uh, 25 combined points from Fox and Sabonis, and De'Aaron Fox had 16 of those 25. Um, he was tied with Keegan Murray for the second leading scorer on the Kings. I understand that the Toronto Raptors took both Sabonis and Fox out of their games. I also understand that last night's loss was a significant, just total team loss. And I and I don't blame Sabonis or Fox, even with the amount of Sabonis turnovers, I don't blame Sabonis or Fox more than I blame the rest of the roster. It was a complete failure for the Sacramento Kings as a team. But that being said... When you are going through the struggles that the Sacramento Kings were going through last night as a team, period, you need your stars to carry yourself, uh, carry you through. And I didn't think De'Aaron Fox or DeMontis Sabonis were looking to score nearly as much as they should have. To take just a, a, a or make just 11 field goals in a game like this, it's not acceptable. You know, again, De'Aaron had 16. He was looking for his shot a little bit, hit a couple of three-pointers, tried to get himself going a little bit in the fourth quarter, and every time the Kings uh, strung, strung some buckets together and, and started getting a little bit of momentum, and, and I think they got it to as low as a 12-point uh, Raptor lead, and then the Raptors would just take either take a timeout or just snuff out, out that run really, really quickly and build it back up to 16, 17, 18 points. So De'Aaron was trying to, to be the fourth quarter Fox that we have gotten used to and, and appreciate this season. But I think I needed that earlier. And then from DeMontis Sabonis, I know he is a facilitator. I know he's trying to set up his teammates. But with how aggressively the Toronto Raptors were jumping the passing lanes, I know they were hacking at Sabonis a lot. And I don't know if his thumb is bothering him. He's had a really hard time just hanging on to the basketball over the last couple of games. It also looked like he was fouled a couple of times and, and there were no calls, but let's not talk about the officiating because that's not the reason the Kings lost. I think the Monta Sabonis needs to, in games like this where the passing lanes aren't there and the turnovers are high, I think he needs to work on just attacking himself, using the strength that he has, using the physicality that he has. And if nothing else, trying to draw some fouls and get to the foul line and score some points there because he was not nearly as aggressive as the Kings needed him to be. And in addition to that, unfortunately, his double-double streak came to an end. He finished with nine points, eight rebounds, nine turnovers, nearly a bad triple-double. Uh, his double-double streak ends at 23. Now, I'm pretty sure he still leads the league in double-doubles, so this is not the end of the world. He'll probably get a new long streak started 
on uh, on on Saturday's game. But it's disappointing to see that double double streak come to an end. But at the same time, like in in a weird way, like I'm glad he didn't get a double double for last night's game because he played his worst game as a king, and he played poorly enough to where I think the 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 streak being snapped and the fact that this game we will now point to that or the record books will point to this game as where it it, it the, his streak came to an end. I think that's not necessarily it's not necessary, but I think it's fitting. Like Demonte Sabonis did not play well enough in this game to deserve the credit of his double double streak reaching twenty four. And I know. He is going to work hard to bounce back from this game. I know he knows the amount of turnovers of the last two games are completely unacceptable. I have all the confidence in the world in Sabonis and Fox and the Sacramento Kings team to learn from this game and to respond to this game. But simply, they need more out of their stars when the team is in a rut as much as they were. Let's hear from head coach Mike Brown, who, like I said at the beginning of the show, uh, he summed up last night's game about as good as you possibly could and about as brutally honest as you possibly could. Uh, but I don't know if he could have put it better. Uh, they just flat out kicked our ass. It's simple. Um, their length, their athleticism, their switchability, their ball pressure, uh, their physicality uh, sped us up. And uh, we didn't do a great job of handling that at all. Um, you know, we always talk about uh, winning the possession game. And we weren't even close. Uh, they kicked our behind on glass. They kicked our behind in, in, in the, uh, <clears throat> in the uh, turnover area. You know, it's, it's hard to, to beat a team when a team gets up uh, 24, 25 more shots than, than you do. Uh, but, you know, like I say, you, you give them credit. They killed us in the pain after the first quarter. You give them a lot of credit. Precious Achua, we couldn't keep, we couldn't stay in front of him. We all got our behinds kicked uh, from me uh, on down. Today's episode of the Locked On Kings podcast is brought to you by FanDuel. The NFL playoffs are here, and we're really excited about our new sports betting partner for Locked On because they're the number one sports book in America. That is FanDuel. And if you're new to FanDuel, that's even better. They have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. New customers join today. You can get started with $150 in free bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just sign up at FanDuel.com slash locked on to take advantage of that offer. FanDuel has all your favorite bets from the money line to point spreads to player props, future bets, and more. Plus, you can even combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same game parlay. Those are some of my favorite to do, and that's a great way to really maximize the money from just one game that you're betting on if you have a good feel for how everything's going on. And of course, the hyper focus is on the NFL right now with FanDuel being the leading sports book for the NFL, but all basketball season, basketball playoffs, future bets, specific bets to the Sacramento Kings. FanDuel has all of those and more, and it's all on their app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. So football fans, don't miss out. Place your first $5 bet to get $150 in free bets Win or lose at fanduel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Hi, I'm Jake from Locked On. There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but really the first words you want to say are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And trust me, as someone named Jake, that is a fact. That's the phrase that will help you feel good knowing that you have people who could help you find the right coverage for the things you want to protect. 
Insurance doesn't need to be complicated with a State Farm agent. With so many coverage options, it feels good knowing you can find what fits you because your situation is unique. And State Farm is there to help you feel supported with the coverage you need for your car, your home, and even boats, motorcycles, RVs, and other things that matter to you. And when you need ways to get help, don't yell or be angry because State Farm gives you options there too, in person or on the phone with your local agent or on statefarm.com or their award-winning app. State Farm lets you do things your way. So when you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember to say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. I'm going to enjoy the next two minutes of this podcast while I'm talking about the two positives from last night's game, Kevin Herter and Keegan Murray, and their outside shooting in particular. Kevin Herter struggled from three-point range or was not really a part of Sacramento's three-point explosion in that first quarter in the win over the Memphis Grizzlies. I think he only finished with like one three-pointer in that game. You would think with the Kings hitting 12 three-pointers in the first quarter that Kevin Herter would have a handful of them like he did in last night's game. Uh, that wasn't the case. So it was nice to see Kevin Herter bounce back. And for a long time, Kevin Herter shooting threes and making threes was Sacramento's offense. Like the Kings offense was bad all game long, but it was Kevin Herter and his 21 points, eight of 12 shooting from the field, five of nine from three point range that gave the Kings even a little bit of a tiny itty bitty chance in this game. And then Keegan Murray behind him, 16 points, six of 10 shooting from the field, four of seven from three point range. So to get nine three-pointers combined from your starting two and your starting four uh, is is excellent for the Kings, of course. And Keegan Murray continues on his his good uh, run of, of form and his good play over the course of January. January has been Harrison Barnes' month. And by the way, Harrison Barnes just managed to keep my stat alive. He scored 10 points, which means still just one game over the last two months uh, that Harrison has scored uh, less than double figures, has scored in single digits. January has been the month of Harrison Barnes. But Keegan Murray is is not too far behind him with how solid he's played, especially over the last couple of weeks, really since Mike Brown has challenged him to be better on the glass. So it was good to see Keegan Murray have a good offensive game too. He hit a couple of big shots in the fourth quarter that tried to spark some runs, but like I said earlier, uh, the Raptors snuffed that out pretty quick. All right, that was fun. That was fun talking about the positives. Let's get back to the negatives. The Kings bench. Yikes. Chemezi Metu, two points in 16 minutes. Donovan, uh, Donovan, Davion Mitchell, four points in 18 minutes. Malik Monk, seven points in 20 minutes. Trey Lyles, six points in 23 minutes. And then Rashawn Holmes, four points in three minutes. So he kind of is the outlier here. When you're getting that little of offensive output from your bench unit in still a significant amount of playing time, like I said, like Metu played 16, Mitchell 18, Monk 20, Lyles 23. Like they're playing a good chunk of time. And you're only getting, between the four of them, 19 points. I know, and you heard, if you listened to the post-game um, podcast after the Memphis game, you heard me ask Mike Brown about establishing consistency with that second unit. And where he said this team needs to be consistent, or the, the second unit needs to be consistent, is it, it starts on the defensive end. And the, if the defense is there, the offense will come. Well, on a night like last night... When the defense, or rather the offense, is that bad, the defense better be stellar for the second unit to overcome that. And, of course, it was not stellar in the slightest. That puts so much pressure on the shoulders of the Kings starters to carry the load offensively. And, look, we've seen plenty of times all five starters finish in double figures. In fact, I'd say it's it's 
pretty standard for the Kings to have four of their five starters figure uh, finish in double-figure scoring. So they're capable of doing it, but you can't rely on that. The bench needs to be way better, especially when the bench features guys like Monk and Metu and Lyles who have been sparks for the Kings, who have helped turn games around at times, or who have built on Kings leads, or sustained Kings leads, or brought the Kings back into the game when maybe the starters are struggling. In a game like this, where the starters outside of Keegan Murray and Kevin Herter aren't really getting going, the Kings need their bench to have a pulse. And last night, the Kings bench was just dreadful. Now, I don't think, again, we need to overreact to it. I don't think Monty needs to panic and at this upcoming trade deadline make a move or two to just bolster the Kings bench. Although I do think they're going to be keeping their eye out on another backup wing uh, or a backup big, of course. But this bench is far uh, is definitely capable of playing far better than this. Way better than this. We've seen it. We've seen this bench explode for 50, 60 points at times. Now, I'm not saying that should be the expectation on a nightly basis, but they can do better than 19 points between their top four bench guys. Rashawn Holmes scored the same amount of points as uh, Davion Mitchell in 15 less minutes. Like, that can't happen. It was good to see Chemezi Metu come back, though. Metu has played his, his first game back uh, since he uh, had that scary injury. Was that the Memphis game? I don't even remember. Yes, yeah, no, it wasn't. It was not the Memphis game. It was the game before that, which was the 76ers game where he had the scary fall. Uh, but it was good to see Chemezi Mentu back. Unfortunately, he, like the rest of the Kings bench, really just did not do anything. No matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax experts make them count. Did you say no to a big wedding and elope at the county courthouse? That's a move. Did you go back to school to get your degree? That's a move. Did you relocate for a fresh start? Well, that's literally a move. Maybe you moved into a houseboat instead of a house house, or switched gears from rideshare driving to video game streaming, or you rode the stock market to the moon and back. TurboTax experts make all your moves count, getting you every credit and deduction you deserve. They'll file with 100% accuracy and get you your max refund guaranteed. So, Switch to TurboTax. Make your moves. They'll make them count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. So now the Kings embark on a seven-game road trip, their longest road trip of the season. Katie Christensen uh, pointed this out on the uh, Carmichael Dave show with Jason Ross on Sacktown Sports 1140 radio uh, yesterday. Um, which, by the way, they also did an interview with Monty McNair after he signed his uh, his new deal. And it's a really solid interview, so I encourage you to go and check that out if you you have the time today. But Katie pointed out that outside of like the the rodeo road trip for the Spurs, which is split, uh, it, it's broken up by the trade deadline. I'm sorry, it's broken up by uh, the All-Star break. So it's not like the Spurs are playing nine straight games on the road with no breaks. They play, I think, seven or six of them, and then they have the All-Star break and then finish out the road trip before coming home. Um, the Kings and the Indiana Pacers, I think, is, as she said, are, have the, are the two teams with a seven-game road trip. And then the Kings have also been, I think, are the only team to have a seven-game road trip after they had a six-game road trip earlier on this season. This is not a gripe of the schedule. I'm just pointing out what the Kings are dealing with. That being said, 
despite how this homestand ended, and despite this ass-kicking that the Kings just got at the hand of the Raptors, this road trip is very beatable for the Kings. Very beatable. It starts with back-to-back games against the Minnesota Timberwolves, a, a, a team with talent that has just been bad this year. Might be a tough matchup for the Kings, though. They have the San Antonio Spurs, the Indiana Pacers, who remember the Kings destroyed the Pacers here in Sacramento. I'm expecting Indiana to look a lot better on their home floor. That's the first game back in Indiana for DeMontis Sabonis. Uh, The New Orleans Pelicans and then the Houston Rockets twice. And of course, the Kings beat the Rockets twice in Sacramento not too long ago. To me, I know like the Kings are one of the best road teams in the NBA, believe it or not. I think they still have the best road record in the Western Conference, if I'm not mistaken. 500 is always the goal for road trips. We talked about this with the six game road trip. Of course, this is a seven game trip. It's an odd number. So four and three would be great for the Kings. I also think that should be kind of the bare minimum for this team, at least the expectation wise. Like that should be bare minimum. To me, the goal for this road trip should be five and two. If you go six and one or seven and oh, like that's phenomenal. Five and two is the goal. If they end up four and three, it's still a solid road trip, right? But what I'm looking at is standings wise, where are the Kings at at the end of this road trip? Because they still are in third in the Western Conference. If they are still at third in the Western Conference, I don't care where fourth is, how many games back fourth is, whatever. If they're still in third place in the West at the end of this road trip, I think it's a. I think at that point, like there's still a lot of season remaining, and after the 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 uh, All Star break, of course, that's when a lot of teams are, are going to pick it up, and the pressure is only going to pick up for the Kings to maintain that spot. But I'm what I feel is if the Kings manage to get through this road trip and still be third place in the Western Conference, I think they have a really, really great and legitimate shot of securing one of those third or fourth seeds and actually securing home court advantage in the opening round, which is absurd to think that the Kings will go from a 16-year playoff drought to not just in the playoffs without the play-in, but in the playoffs with home court advantage in the opening round. That would be nuts for the Kings to pull that off. Seems like best case scenario, but that best case scenario is very possible if Sacramento not just survives, but overcomes this road trip, comes out of this road trip, maybe even or even better than where they were at going into the seven game trip. Like that should be the goal. That should be the hope for the Sacramento Kings. I want to hear from you. How are you feeling after this loss? Are you freaking out? Are you panicking? Is it just one of those games that hopefully we can beyond this podcast, just forget about? How are you feeling? Let me know at Matt George Sack on Twitter. Email me Sports at gmail.com. I'll be back in this seat, back in my uh, my home studio here for the first ever Locked on Kings live podcast, 10 a.m. tomorrow, which is Friday, 10 a.m. Pacific time. I would uh, love for you to join me for that. I have no idea how it's going to go. Never done one before. Uh, hopefully I have everything set up correctly, so it might be a disaster. I have no idea. I'm going to do it anyway, and hopefully it should be a good time. Uh, but I'm looking forward to interacting with you listeners live, answering questions, seeing your takes, just chatting with you. Uh, of course, we'll talk about this road trip. We'll talk about maybe Kings trade scenarios, a lot of stuff that we can talk about with the Kings, uh, in that live show. So I hope you'll join me for that again, 10 AM Pacific time on Friday or tomorrow. Uh, if you're listening on Thursday, I hope you will uh, join me for that. Uh, thank you for your support. Even when the Sacramento Kings lay absolute eggs like they did last night, I appreciate it as always. Can't wait to have you join me on the next episode of Locked on Kings. Until then, my name is Matt George. You have been listening to the Locked on Kings podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network.
Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.